الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على شرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان لا يوم الدين الحديث الحادي عشر عن أبي محمد الحسن بن علي بن أبي طالب سبت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وريحانته رضي الله عنهما وعليهم السلام قال حفظت من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم دع ما يريبك إلى ما لا يريبك رواه الترمذي والنسئي وقال الترمذي حديث حسن صحيح بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Alhamdulillah, respected brothers and sisters and honorable listeners, we're continuing with hadith number 11 from the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, the 40 hadith which we know are the comprehensive principles of the religion, that if we were to take any particular hadith from these blessed ahadith, they indicate to something of major principles of the deen. In other words, these are rules and principles and fundamentals to live by, to govern your Islam and your practice as a Muslim. So this hadith narrated by Abu Muhammad, the father of Muhammad, Hassan. So this is kunya. Abu Fulan is called a kunya. And this is a, an honorific that is used by the Arabs known as agnomen. It's called an agnomen in English language, and it is an honorific, a means by which somebody honors somebody else. So the Arabs, they would call someone by their eldest son or their eldest daughter, the firstborn. Sayyidina Hamza radiallahu an, he was Abu Hafsa, Abu Hafs for short, right? He was known as Abu Hafs. Uh, and here, as is being uh, said, um, Sayyidina Rasulullah's uh, kunya was Abu Qasim, the father of Qasim. Qasim was the eldest son of Sayyidina Muhammad. And here we can see Sayyidina Hassan, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, he was Abu Muhammad. And Abu Muhammad meaning the father of Muhammad, his name being Al Hassan, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, Sibti Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So Sibt is what we call Nawasa. In Farsi, Nawasa in, in Urdu, in Farsi, Nawasa means the son of your daughter, the son of the daughter. So Hassan was the son of Fatima, that's Nawasa. And then in Urdu, we have a, we, in, 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 in Farsi, we have Nawasa for both. But in, in Urdu, they have Nawasa for daughters and Pota, Poti for uh, sons, yeah, for the sons' uh, uh, children. So for the, uh, the, the children of your daughter, it's Sibt, right? So he was the Sibtu Rasulillah. He was the son of the daughter of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. وَرَيْحَانَتِهِ And his flower, his fragrant flower, his blossom. That was what the title of Hassan was. The Prophet it indicates to a hadith which the Prophet said about Hassan and Hussein, Huma Raihanataya Minad Dunya. These two are my two flowers 
my two raihanas, my two blossoms of the life of this world. And as we know, Sayyidina Hassan and Hussein, radiallahu anhuma, they were the progeny of siyadah, the progeny of sharafa, the progeny of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu would pass through Hassan and Hussein. And this was a khasiyat and special favor of Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah had blessed the Prophet والسلام, that the, the progeny of siyada, yani the progeny of being a Sayyid, the progeny of being from the lineage uh, of Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, came through his daughter, Fatima, and Ali ibn Abi Talib, Hassan and Hussein. So, very, very special hadith from a very, very special companion, from someone who was Rayhanataya, from the Rayhana of Rasulullah. Rayhana meaning the flower of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So he was born in the 15th of Ramadan In the third year of Hijrah So you can see that he was basically Seven years old or so maybe when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed away So he was very young He passed away in the 50th year of Hijrah, Masmuman min zawjatihi, and he was poisoned by one of his wives. Bi'irisha'i Yazid ibn Ma'awiyah, laha ala dhalik, by the bribery of Yazid ibn Ma'awiyah al-Mal'oon, la'natullahi alayhi, who gave her bribery to uh, Poison Sayyidina Hassan radiallahu anhu. Wadufina bil baqir. He was buried in Jannatul Baqir. Wakana min al hukama il kurama. And he was from the great, wise, and generous, and pious Muslims. Wamarwiyatuhu thalatha ashara hadith. His narrations were 13 ahadith. Can you imagine that a, a, basically a child who spent seven or we can say seven to ten years with his grandfather sallallahu alayhi wasallam he learned 13 hadith and when we talk about like you know in narrating a hadith when we read um, in for example the books of Rijal the books of um, uh, Mustaluh al-Hadith Fulanun rawa min Nabi sallallahu so it means that they were the authority they were responsible for this Document like it was not like a joke, it was a very, very serious matter. That this hadith, this was the responsibility of so and so, like he was in charge of that. They said, Oh, who narrates this hadith? Who narrates? Oh, that is Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. So when they say he narrates, in other words, like. It was, he was officially, you know, like you have patented. Like these were, they were responsible for these ahadith. And that is why they have musnad, and you, you've probably heard of the musnad Imam Ahmad, or the musnad of Tayalisi, or the musnad of uh, 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 Imam Bayhaqi, or even these masanid. The musnad books are books that are categorized by narrator. So it starts with Abu Bakr, with Alif, and then Ba, 
and then, for example, uh, Bilal ibn Abi Rabah, that would be in their Ba'ah. And in all of the narrations that Bilal was known to have narrated. So what it's saying here, وَمَرْوِيَّاتُهُ ثَلَاثَةَ عَشَرَ حَدِيثًا There was like specific, specific ahadith that were, like it was like a book that someone had written. Oh, th this book? Yeah, that's attributed to, so, so the ahadith, they were such like special uh, things, responsibilities almost, you can say. They were responsibilities, and they were attributed, right, to these people, who then that specific sahabi was the authority. That's why I like the translation. On the authority, you know, in English, in some of the uh, hadith translations, they say, on the authority of Abu Huraira, on the authority of, you know, Omar ibn al-Khattab, this hadith is narrated on the authority, like they were the authority in that. So it's a very, very serious matter with it. So this hadith is on the authority of Sayyidina Hassan radiallahu an. And it's very famous about Sayyidina Hassan that the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, his manaqib, his virtues were so many. Allahumma inni uhibbuhu fa'ahibbah. Oh Allah, I love Hassan. Oh Allah, you also love him. And in another hadith, right, it said that, Ya Allah, you know, anyone who loves these two, in one hadith it says in Tirmidhi, anyone who loves these two and their mother and father will be with me in paradise. There's not Shia narrations. And then this reality and this, I don't know, misconception, or I don't know what you want to call it, this, uh, you know, misunderstanding, that as if the Ahl Bayt are the monopoly of one sect of Islam and then the other sect that calls themselves Sunni have nothing to do with them. If you do not have love for the Ahl Bayt, if you don't have love for the family of the Prophet you're not Muslim. You're, just, you're, not, you're not Muslim. If you don't have love for the family of Sayyidina Rasulullah Oh Allah, love him, for verily I love him. And look at what he says. Anyone who loves these two and their mother and father will be with me in Jannah. This is Sahih narrations. These aren't from their books. These are from our kitabs. I don't know what happens. But it's, you know, again, it's where our focus is. Somebody asked me, why don't the Sunnis, they speak about this? I said, you're absolutely right. We're, we're blameworthy. We're blameworthy. It's where your focus is. You're focusing on that. We're not focusing on it. We should focus on it. There should be times. And an easy way to focus on it is have the readings of the books of hadith. Where did Sayyidina Hassan's name come in the conversation for us to have extolled and praised him as he is worthy of it? Do you see what I'm saying? So here it has come. And here we must honor and mention his manaqib. That the Prophet said, these two, Hassan and Hussein, they are my two flowers of this world that Allah has given me. Allah did not give me sons, but they are my sons in place of my son. There was a divine wisdom that the, 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 the progeny or the male offspring of the Prophet did not survive. There was a wisdom in the divine hikmah in that that we don't know. However, this that they survived, you can imagine now how much the Prophet loved them and how much he appreciated them and how much he ex had expectation in them. And then there's another hadith that's coming here.
it's mentioned that some of the things that um, one time uh, Rasulullah was giving a khutbah. He was giving a khutbah. And Hassan came and he climbed the mimbar. He's a little, I mean, five year old or six year old boy, like Hamza running around, you know. He climbs, you know, on the mimbar while the Prophet is giving a khutbah. So the Prophet said about him, Inna ibni hadha sayyid. This son of mine, ibni. He calls him son because grandson is son. Grandson is your son. Ibn Ibni Hada Sayyid. This son of mine is a leader. This son of mine is a is, is a Sayyid, is a leader. He is a leader of the people. Wa muslimin. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring reconciliation through him between two opposing factions, two warring factions. Allah will make him an arbiter and Allah will make him somebody who brings sulh between two major armies. And this was in the time of when Muawiyah came and he was facing the army of Hassan and he considered himself to be rightful and Hassan ibn Ali who considered himself to be rightful and the armies were facing one another and Sayyidina Hassan said, it's all yours. I don't want any bloodshed. It's not worthy that we should fight over matters uh, that if you want to run it, you run the show. I have no wish and I have no desire that hundreds of people should die for, for, for this. This was the maqam of Sayyidina Hassan radiallahu anhu. Inna ibni hadha sayyid. This is a true leader. Right? True leader is what? True leader is not the one who, you know, takes all of his people to, you know, Jahannam. He takes everybody straight to, you know, I'm going to get everybody killed because, you know, I want this power. And we see this in this time, what's happening, where leaders are just like bombarding their people because what, you don't want to accept me? You know, you don't want to take me? I'm going to obliterate you, any children, anything walking, anything moving, anything crawling. You know, and these were people who, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, but they are an example for us. And then you have the example of Sayyidina Hussein. I ain't bowing down to no oppressor. And there was a, this, is, this teaches us that there was a big difference between Muawiyah and his son. Sayyidina Hassan said, you can have it. I ain't arguing with you. You're a companion of the Prophet. Well, this is a very important point to take in for, also for the Shia to take into consideration. How did Hassan anhu give it away to somebody who was not worthy or somebody who was worthy of curse or worthy of na'udhu billah uh, la'an or curse? or unworthy to run the state. Otherwise, Sayyidina Hassan should have never submitted. He should have never said, you can have it. That means that you are worthy and I'm backing up. It would, it would have been more preferable that I take it, but I will leave what is more preferable for that which is permissible. It's permissible for you to lead. But in the case of Yazid, it was not permissible. Do you see the difference? He never ever can equate Muawiyah with his son. And that was why Sayyidina Hussein said, it is not permissible. I cannot back down from this. And that's why, you know, he went down the way he went down. And in the example of Hassan, there is a role model for this ummah. And in the example of Hussein, there is a role model for this ummah. Subhanallah. Sheikh Abdul Haq Muhaddis Dehlawi says something. Ajeeb. Ajeeb. And this is a risala like blew my mind. He said the Prophet ﷺ had made the dua 
that, O oh Allah, give me shahada. Give me martyrdom in your path. But Allah didn't accept this dua. Now, the interesting point Sheikh Abdul Haq is mentioning here. He says, how can it be that Allah didn't accept the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu You can say in one way, you know, his dua was accepted. He is from amongst, he's above the shuhada. He's amongst the shuhada uh, in one sense. But like what his wish was in the thick of battle. So, Sheikh Abdul Haq says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one way accepted his dua by manifesting it in his grandson and didn't accept it and didn't manifest it in him because then the kuffar would have said that look that we killed your prophet we killed him we put an end to him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have never Allah would never allow that you know they would boast that they killed the Prophet of Islam in the battlefield. Whereas, it's not something that is far-fetched for a Nabi to be made shaheed in battle. So, I mean, it's not far-fetched, but Allah Azza wa Jal did not manifest that out of honor. However, he says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made that wish manifest in his grandson, which is also a part where he said, you know, Fatima is a piece of my heart. Yani, Fatima, falzatu kabidi. Fatima is a piece of my, my body. She's a piece, he's a piece of my, you know, they say in Arabic, piece of my liver. But like, you know, we say, she, you're, you're, you're my heart. And you're part of me. So, Sheikh Abdul Haq said, Allah made it manifest, the shahada and his wish for martyrdom in something that was a part of him. So that his wish come true and that, that also becomes an example for the ummah. Anyways, this is a very, very great, amazing thing that's been mentioned. So this hadith, what does Hassan anhu narrate from the Prophet? What is, what, what is his authority? On the authority of Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, Sibtu Rasulillah, what is he narrating? He's narrating this. Very short hadith, and you can obviously see, subhanAllah, a child can even memorize it. But in it, you can say it's so comprehensive that this is from the Jawami al Kalim. It's from the comprehensiveness of speech. Da'ma yaribuk. Very simple hadith. Literally, two, four, six, seven words. Just seven words. Leave that which brings you doubt for that which puts no doubt in you. Leave those things that bring your heart doubt for those things that do not bring you doubt. And it's interesting that Sayyidina Hassan is narrating this and there's an incident that might go in accordance with this hadith that will clarify what the meaning of this hadith is. One day the Prophet was going with Hassan anhu. he was walking with him on the road and Sayyidina Hassan, he's a little boy he picked up a date from the road and he put it in his mouth and the Prophet took his finger and he put his finger in his mouth and he pulled the date out of his mouth and he said, kikh, kikh Inna ahl al-bayti la na'kulu sadaqa 
We, the family of the Prophet, the Ahlul Bayt, we do not eat from that which is the zakat and that which is distributed for the zakat. Kikh, kikh, and he put his finger in his mouth and he took it out by force. Teaching Sayyidina Hassan anhu this principle. How did he know? He didn't know. That's the point. How did he know that that was from sadaqah? How did he know that was, it may have fallen out from a bag that was being distributed in charity, in zakat, and it is not permissible for Ahl Bayt to take that, for the Hashimis, for Ahl Bayt Rasul it is haram upon them, literally haram for them to eat the zakat, to take from the zakat. So teaching that to his son, from, for, from his, to his grandson, from that young age, that you have to avoid those things that are haram. Because haram, it's anything that causes displeasure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether they are in aqwal, af'al, in ma'kulat or mashrubat or what we had mentioned in the previous hadith that, you know, a person is going and he's going on a long journey and is disheveled and he's covered in dust and he's lifting his hands and he's saying, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb, wa mat'amuhu haram, wa mashrabuhu haram, wa ma'kaluhu haram, how can his dua be accepted when everything he's eating is haram and his drink is haram and his you know, conveyance is haram? In other words, it has an effect in your dua. It has an effect of your prayers. It taints and it puts a blemish on your spiritual state. So those who are pure, the, pe the people of Ahl Bayt, Allah Ta'ala says, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala wants to purify you O oh, Ahl al-Bayt, the Ahl al-Bayt, they are more purified, you know, than anyone else. Because they're the family of the Sayyidina, Sayyidina Rasulullah There was a lot of khasayis of Ahl al-Bayt. We know that gold is haram for the, the men of this ummah. The Prophet made gold haram upon Fatima. Gold was haram upon her. Because she's Sayyidatun Nisa'i Ahlil Jannah. She would avoid all of the comforts and luxuries of the life of this world. Sadaqat of, you know, and zakat was haram upon them. So this hadith goes that, you know, if you are in doubt between something that it might be halal or haram, or something that might be good and something that might not be good, Better to stay on the safe side and avoid it. And it says here, Mullaliqari, Wal Amru Nadb. And the Amr here is not a absolute command. Fa'an Umar radiallahu anhu, Maksibatun fiha ba'dur riba, khayrum minal mas'ala. Listen to what he says. He says, This hukum, da'ma yaribuka ila ma la yaribuk. Leave that which puts doubt in your heart for that which puts no doubt in your heart. This is mustahab. It is recommended. It is not mandatory because there are certain works that it's better for you to do that work that may have some iota of doubt than to go and beg the people. Do you see what I'm saying? So in that situation where a person, should I do this work that might be doubtful? What would be like a work that's doubtful? Like you know, driving a truck, and in that truck you might have to carry some alcohol in it. You have different, different things that you have to carry. Sometimes you carry good, you know, things, and sometimes you carry bad things. Generally, that type of work is, is permissible. 
but there's a possibility that now you're carrying some things that are haram. You're carrying some things that might have uh, shubha in it. You might be carrying things that are impermissible items and you're truck driving. You're just delivering different different types of items. So you want to go hardcore, you should leave that job. But now if you have no other job, this is what Sayyidina Umar is saying, مَكْسِبَةٌ فِيهَا بَعْضُ الرِّيبَةٌ خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الْمَسْأَلَةِ That job which might have some question in it, it's not 100%, you don't, I mean, there might be something going on there, you don't know. That is better than to go around begging people money. That doubt, because it's not, remember, this is shak, we're not talking about yaqeen. When there's yaqeen, of something, then without a doubt it's not permissible. But you're, in the, you're iffy about it. You know, you're iffy about it. You have some job that you might get and it might be doubtful, might be this way or that way. It's better for you to opt for that than to go around begging or having to steal or doing something that's completely haram. So in other words, وَالْأَمْرُ فِيهِ لِلنَّدْبِ وَمَعْنَى النَّدْبِ الْإِسْتِحْبَابِ it's an encouragement. It's best to avoid that which is doubtful for that which has no doubt in it. Because there are situations that we're surrounded. Mullah Ali Qari says something amazing. Mullah Ali Qari, he says, وَقَدْ قَالَ بَعْضُ عُلَمَائِنَا هَذَا زَمَانُ الشُّبُهَاتِ This zaman that we're living in, you're just surrounded by doubtful things. Everything's doubtful. Living is doubtful. Right? So now you are in a situation um, Subhanallah He says The abundance of doubtful things And this is why this, why this hukum is preferable Because the abundance of haram things you know, the abundance of doubtful things and very little permissible things being found, it necessitates you to just stay away from the haram. Don't worry about doubtful things. When you're in such a place that you can hardly find halal and so many things are doubtful, stick to staying away from that which is clearly haram. Because now you're going to stay away from doubt. You're going to be like stuck. You won't find anything. Do you see what I'm saying? So... It's a very interesting point. أوجبت أن يكون الورع منحصرا في ترك المحرمات. Such a situation necessitates that you should just focus your wara and your piety. Your piety should be focused on staying away from haram, not on if 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 if. There's people that they their ifs right. And Mullah Ali Qari said, some people, they do so many ifs that the only thing halal is that raindrop that comes directly from the cloud into his mouth. But it goes to America's fly zone. So some people, they go so deep that the only thing halal they'll find is that cloud, that rain, that comes directly from the cloud right inside of his mouth. But it goes through airspace. We have, that's a modern concept now. Now we have a modern concept of air. Before there was no air, now there's airspace. Now what are you going to do about that? Even that rain is not halal then. There was something that had happened 
Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah, either his son or his, I think it was his son, he used to receive gifts from the governor. And the governor was, according to Imam Ahmad, a zalim, usurper. You know that they were, subhanAllah, such a maqam of taqwa and wara. We're talking about leave that which is doubtful for that, and you get ready for this one. So his son brought some food home, bread. He said, where did you get this bread from? He said, oh, I had gotten 10 dinars as a hadiyah from the court, you know, for you know, some work that I did, did. He said, from the court of this governor? He said, yes. He said, take all this bread and throw it in the, in the ocean. We're not, go throw it in the river. I'm not eating from this. So went and threw it in the river. After that, Imam Ahmad said, but what about the fish? The fish are going to eat from that bread. Wait a minute. He threw the bread. The fish in that river, they're going to eat all that bread. He says, he left eating fish for 10 years. This was the maqam of da'ma yaribuka ila ma la yaribuk. So Mullah Ali Qari rahimahullah brought these ahwal of these people to show that there is a level of hardcoreness that Mullah Ali Qari is saying in the time where you're surrounded by shubuhat, don't worry about doubtful things because you're not going to find anything to eat. Just stay away from what's clearly haram. Because there's, basically he's saying, and he brings all these ahwal of the mashayikh, he brings these ahwal, and then he says, some people go to such a level of like, becoming crazy and OCD about it, that they will like, about the slightest things, they're going to start going, you know, they start becoming mental. And then he gives example, Sayyidina Mullah Ali Qari, Mirqat is amazing, Mullah Ali Qari is amazing muhaddith. I mean, when he talks about a hadith, he talks about it, ma laha wa ma alayha. He talks about he doesn't leave any stone unturned to explain it. So he mentions that story and another thing that he says, what was I going to say? What was I going to say just now? Crossed my mind. Yeah. So then he said, look, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they would make wudu, some of them, at their homes, and they would walk barefoot to the masjid. He's giving, he gave a couple of fiqhi examples that look at the Sahaba radiallahu that they would make wudu at home, and then they would walk barefoot to the masjid. In other words, you know, where there's no feces, or there's no urine, or there's no thing that you can apparently see, it was dust, and Medina Munawara was a clean earth. This shows that they did not have that level of you know, OCD and in, in, in purification matters that we do. They would, for example, I mean, think about that. They would make wudu at home and they would walk barefoot to the masjid and they would not be concerned about, you know, certain matters. And they said they would walk with their sandals and then they would wipe their sandal, uh, you know, on uh, the earth, the clean earth. And then they would come because at a certain time, the masjid of the Prophet was gravel. So they would walk with their sandal and then they would wipe their sandal there at the doorstep of the masjid and they would pray on the gravel of the masjid there and that was sufficient for them. They were not at the level 
of how we are. And the Bedouin came and he urinated in the masjid of the Prophet and the Prophet said, pour a bucket of water over it. Pour a bucket of water over it because what that does is that neutralizes the smell and then the sun, because it was gravel and, the, and that place would be then uh, heated by the sun. So when that area then becomes heated by the sun and it dries, it's pure now, even though it was urine there. So all of these things then, Mullah Al-Iqad is giving these ex examples that these examples from fiqh, another uh, incident was the incident of Umar radiallahu He comes upon a body of water in the desert. Sahaba were thirsty, they needed water and they, so when Umar went close to make wudu from it, he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, what if a dog came and licked this water? He said, you keep your fatwa to yourself. We did not see any dog and we are in need of this water. We are mukallaf and we are responsible for what we have witnessed here. There is no dog in this vicinity. There is no hyena. There is no animal that may have left its saliva here. The color, the taste, and the smell of this water has not been affected in any way. This is halal for us. In other words, this hukum of da'ma yaribuk ila ma la yaribuk is linadb. What we mentioned, Mullah Ali Qari is amazing. He's amazing. Look at how he makes shara of this hadith. Because people take this hadith and they're going to run with it and they become pagal. He made wudu for, he's going to go majnoon, you know. He made wudu for like 45 minutes. He's washing his feet 50 times. He said, I don't think it's done yet. No, no, no. Oh no, my nail, something I have to go around. Now, you know, and he's like putting water inside the eyeballs and, you know, can't get like, you know, putting it in the... And his wudu is never done. So this is linadb. And what a usul, what an usul has been explained here. Yani, I can't even emphasize this. This is amazing that Mullah Ali Qari 400 years ago could have, mashallah, explained this. Amazing ibara. And this is for our time. Some people you see, they just go crazy. Leave that which is doubtful for that which is not doubtful. Okay, you shouldn't even live here, bro. You should not live here. You know, one of, my, one of, my, one of our friends, you know, we know them. I mean, he was very, very smart. He was very clear. He said, I just kept thinking about it and I realized I can't live here. You really want to go deep? You really, really want to go deep? You, you, it's not permissible for you to live here. But now you want to step back and say, okay, let's go away from the doubtful things. What's clearly haram? Tell me, what's clear-cut haram? Not, I'm not talking about, oh, but you might this and you might have be supporting this thing because you, know, you bought this tissue and you blew your nose in it and then this one penny might go to this company that might be doing... Don't talk about that. Where, you're di where are you directly spending and supporting haram? Do you get what this point is? It's beautiful. Otherwise, you can't live. You can't live anywhere. It's impossible. I mean, there was, do you want to know like shubuhat? I mean, I gave you an example of Sheikh Ahmad ibn Hanbal. I mean, he didn't eat fish for 10 years from the river Euphrates in Baghdad, right? Because he said, you know, the fish ate from the bread. The fish may have ate from the bread of, that was bought with the money of the Zalim governor. I mean, there's other things you can eat. It doesn't mean like, but, but I'm just saying, it's like, there's like no end. There's like no end to it. There was another sheikh who says, anything touched by the kuffar, 
And what was his premise? You see, when Hajar Aswad came to this earth, it was all white, and then it was by the touch and the kufr of the kuffar. When it touched, it turned black. Now it's Hajar Aswad. So imagine if they touch food or they, touch, they don't live here then. You know what I mean? Like, just forget about it. You can't live by those things. And that's why, subhanAllah, Adinu Yusr, Alhamdulillah, the Mashaykh, Mullah Ali Qari, a scholar from, you know, uh, you know uh, 10th century Hijri. Amazing explanation he's made here. Again, I love this ibarah. وَالْمَعْنَى أَنَّ كَثْرَةَ الشُّبُهَاتِ وَقِلَّةِ الْحَلَالَاتِ أَوْجَبَتْ أَنْ يَكُونَ الْوَرَعُ مُنْحَصِرًا فِي الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ Scarcity of halal. Scarcity of halal. And abundance of doubtful things. Necessitates that your piety should be only in matters that are haram. And your piety should be in avoiding only that which is purely haram and there's no doubt about it. Otherwise, life is just going to get, get miserable. Life is going to get difficult. And that's not what the purpose of deen was. Subhanallah. And what is this proof? وَيُؤَيِّدُهُ أَنَّهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ لِأَصْحَابِهِ أَنْتُمْ فِي زَمَانٍ لَوْ تَرَكْتُمْ عُشْرَ مَا عَلِمْتُمْ لَهَلَكْتُمْ he said, you live in a time, oh my companions, that if you were to abandon a tenth of what you have learned, you will be destroyed. You live in a time now that if you were to leave or abandon one-tenth of what you know, then you will be destroyed. And a time will come that people, if they act upon one-tenth of what they know, they will be saved. All you need to do is act upon one-tenth of what you know. Yani the hadith is indicating that you know, you're not required now to be at that level of taqwa. Just stay away from haram. Abu Huraira mentions an amazing hadith. He says, Antum fi zamanin. He says, we are from a time, he says, we are from a time that he said, we are in a time that sin is adakku fi a'yunikum min ash'ar, right? That sin is like adakku fi a'yunikum. Uh, in, in the example he's giving, he said, like, sin for you is like, you know, uh, uh, it's, uh, he gave the example of a, a fly. He said, it's like a fly that's passing in front of your nose. And in our zaman, in our time, it was like a mountain above our heads. The difference. So this is a, 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 a rule and a regulation that our taqwa necessitates and now going to another aspect. This, is in, this was in the matter of halal and haram. But now we're in another aspect that if you are, you know, in a specific, you know, a, a specific thought, a specific statement, should I say this or should not I say this? Should I adopt this or should not I, should not I adopt this? Right? You're in making a decision about a matter. When you're making any decision about any matter of your deen, you should always adopt that which there is no doubt in it. In other words, for example, you have a glass of water, right? You know that for sure this is halal. 
you have another glass of water, you know for sure that this is haram. And then you have another third glass of water that it might be or might not be. Which one will you take? The one in which there's no doubt in it. That is the only safe way that you'll preserve your deen. So in the preservation of our deen, right, always take that in which there is no doubt in it. And we have many masail like that. We have many issues like that. Some scholars say it's permissible. Some scholars say it's not permissible. And the best option always is to take that in which there is no doubt in it. Just to keep your deen safe. But like I said, this is only in a situation where you know, you're not compelled, you're not having this extreme difficulty or hardship, or if you don't opt for that, you know, you'll be in extreme amount of dire situation. Another thing that's mentioned, which is a, a different version of this hadith, where the Prophet said, Leave that which brings doubt in your heart for that which brings no doubt in your heart. So they asked, How would I know that? So then he said, Whenever you want to make a decision about something, put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart because your heart is at ease in something that is good and your heart will be uncomfortable in something that is questionable. And sometimes a pious Muslim, he will leave something that is small out of fear that it might lead to something bigger. Right. So again, we have issues where you're dealing with um, permissible and impermissible things and you're surrounded by it and now you're going to leave that it's going to make you fall in very difficult and dire situation then in that situation you just stay away from that which is haram don't worry too much about things that may be doubtful right and there are scholars always that you can ask them but in general matters always have this usul in your life that don't put yourself in any situation that will be doubtful. Don't put yourself in any situation where your deen, your iman, in thoughts. Don't go into thoughts that are doubtful thoughts. Don't go into statements that are doubtful statements. Don't say things that are doubtful. Don't do things that are doubtful. Don't think things that are doubtful. And apply this in every aspect of your life. Leave that which puts doubt in your heart for that that doesn't put doubt in your heart. May Allah give us the tawfiq to understand what has been said.